Let's go to the Lord before we uh, go to his word. Holy Spirit, we thank you once again for inspiring this word, for inspiring our brother John to tell us about Jesus, whom he knew personally, closely. Holy Spirit, we acknowledge you're the true preacher. You're the true teacher in this congregation right now. It's your voice we want to hear through your word. So open up our minds, hearts, and spirits to hear your truth this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, in, in this passage we're going to look at from John's Gospel, right at the very front end, chapter 1, John is talking, John is talking about people who are, are nobodies and some people who are somebodies. Um, and he begins first by talking about the somebody, the person who's the ultimate somebody. Listen to what, what he says. In the beginning, the word already existed. Now, let me say this before we go further. If you were from, uh, if you knew Greek culture back then, which virtually everybody did, they grew up, they lived and breathed it, um, the word there that John uses, logos, meant the principle that organized the entire universe, the principle, the force that held everything together. You know, they, they had to have some idea of how did all the, where did all this order come from in the universe? Because they saw the order. Well, they said that's, that's the logos, holding it, whatever the logos is, holding it all together. But if you were... Jewish back then, and you saw this word logos, where you would go is, that's talking about the word of God. And over the centuries, what happened when they would talk about the word of God, it was basically, they were talking about God when you were talking about his word. They were, in, they were inseparable. You know, in, in um, the Proverbs, there's a place early on in the Proverbs where the writer says, wisdom is calling out in the streets to the foolish. And wisdom is personified. Wisdom is seen as personified as a person. In the same way, when the Jews thought of word, they thought of a person. And John is indeed talking about a person, a very specific person, isn't he? When he says word, he's talking about Jesus. Listen to what he says. In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God. In other words, Jesus was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. The Word, Jesus, gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. What John is telling us is that this Jesus, whom he knew, who he spent time with, camped out with, traveled with, saw do miracles, was on the Sea of Galilee, saw him call in the storm, all those things, saw him raise people from the dead, but he was just this guy, he was this person that they also joked around with, ate meals with. 
This guy was the ultimate somebody because he was the creator of the entire universe. He's existed from all time. He's, he's the third person of the Trinity. He's the ultimate somebody. And, and to try to give you a sense of how bizarre this would be to think about, it would be as if, Baker, I'm going to use you as an example here. Don't run. Uh, as if I said, Baker here, he existed before the universe was created. The universe was created through him. He, and not only that, he, not only was he with God, he is God. That's the force of this. Jesus was a guy like Baker. That's the force of this. This person that walked the earth named Jesus is the ultimate somebody, the ultimate person that we need to know. We're not surprised by that. But we should be a little bit surprised with where John goes next. Because where John goes next is talking about somebody who is a major nobody, at least in the world's eyes. He says this, God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light, the light obviously being Jesus. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. I don't expect you to know who Albert McMakin is, but let me tell you about Albert McMakin. Albert McMakin in 1934 was working on a dairy farm in Charlotte, North Carolina, middle of the Depression. We don't know how Albert McMakin came to know Jesus Christ, but we know he, he knew Jesus Christ. He was a committed Christian. How do we know that? Because he had a burden for the young man who worked, who was part of the family that owned the dairy farm, who was 16 years old at the time, who was just a wild, carefree young guy. He loved, uh, he loved that kid loved the Tarzan books. Uh, and uh, he used to hang from the trees and do the Tarzan yell like we used to see in the old movies, right? And uh, he was just, just a happy-go-lucky, crazy kid, but who did not know Jesus Christ. God gave Albert McMakin a huge burden for that young man. He wanted that young man to come to see, come to know Jesus Christ. And so the Lord gave him an idea. There was a traveling evangelist coming to town, a tent preacher. And Albert said to that young man, if you'll go to the meeting tonight, I'll let you drive the stake truck. Now, this kid was 16 in the middle of the Depression. Hardly anybody had a car. And he was going to get to drive the truck. So he'll, sure, I'll go anywhere. So he went. He went. And that night... 
He responded to the invitation from the preacher to accept Jesus as his Lord and Savior at age 16. And that young man, as some of you may have figured out by now, was Billy Graham. Now, Albert McMakin, Albert McMakin, and I've told you all I know about him. I've, I've looked, I've tried to find out a little bit more. There's not much. You can't find how he came to Christ. Was he married? Did he have kids? When did he die? None. Can't find it. He's a nobody. He's a nobody. Except in God's kingdom. Except in God's kingdom. He's a somebody in God's kingdom whom God used powerfully. John the Baptist, he's a nobody. Now, he's a somebody to us now. But back then, he was a nobody. Do you know, we don't know what town, what village John the Baptist lived in. Scripture doesn't tell us anything about it. We know things about his birth, about his uh, 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 the circumstances of his birth. But that's really about it. We don't know anything about him from birth on. We don't know anything about him until suddenly he appears near the River Jordan, a number of miles outside of Jerusalem, and he's preaching. And he's preaching that there's a Messiah coming and everybody better turn their lives back to God because the time is now. You better be baptized for the repentance, or baptized to show your repentance from your sins, that you are turning back from God. He just appears. This nobody. But he was a nobody who had this incredible impact on his own nation, on his own country. And why? Because he was connected to the one who is the somebody, not just on, in the universe. Here's one reason I think John told the story this way. If John the Baptist becomes a somebody... John the Baptist, who was a nobody from, we don't even know what town he's from. If he can become a somebody in the kingdom of God, guess what? So can you. So can you. The only question is, are, are you connected to the somebody, to Jesus himself? You know, I, uh, as you all know, or many of y'all know, I'm, I work in three or four nursing homes, a couple of assisted livings each week, ministering to residents. And most of these uh, in the nursing homes, they're for-profit nursing homes. And primarily, they're filled with uh, poor African-Americans. In African-Americans grew up, most of them in Memphis, um, who are going to be in these nursing homes the rest of their lives. Now, many of them, 
you know, some of them have memory issues, but many of them, they're just there because of physical issues, and they can sit and talk just like if we sat down and had a conversation after worship. And one thing I tell them regularly is this. They think, many of them, many of them think, I'm in this nursing home, and I can't leave this facility because of my physical condition, and I really can't have any impact on the outside world. And I tell them, you're wrong. You're dead wrong. And here's why. You know, Albert McMakin, if you had told him, you know, this guy working as a farmhand on a dairy farm in the middle of the Depression in Charlotte, North Carolina, which was a country town at the time. If you had told Albert McMakin, you know that kid Billy who's swinging from the trees, acting like he's Tarzan, that you help lead to Christ Jesus? He's going to end up preaching to more people on this planet than anyone in history has. And, you know, I think Albert probably would have just smiled and said, you know, that's sweet of you, but you're a little bit crazy. It's never going to happen. But it did. It did happen. Why? Because of the power of God. Because of God's plan. Well, my friends in the nursing home, what I remind them is that they, they, don't, they can't leave the nursing home, or at least very, very rarely. But guess what? They are surrounded by people who do leave the nursing home who go home to neighborhoods and families and friends, people who work there, CNAs, which are certified nursing assistants, the people who do the really grunt work, the basic care work in nursing homes who are heroes to me, nurses, people who do housekeeping, people who do all the dietary, who bring the meals in and out. A lot of them are are young men doing this work, and they're going back into neighborhoods into Memphis, which I'm telling you, Memphis is more dangerous. I, I moved there in 2007 till 12, and then we came back in 18. Memphis is more, far more dangerous than I've ever, ever, ever experienced it. It's a dangerous place right now. And a lot of it is young men going wrong. Well, I tell my folks, you need to regularly ask the CNA, the young men who serve you your meals, the nurse, the, uh, uh, the housekeeping people, how can I pray for you? Tell me how I can pray for you. And they may say, oh, just pray about everything. Fine. But pray for them. Pray that God, that the Holy Spirit works powerfully in their lives. Pray that the Lord intervenes. Pray that the Lord keeps them safe. Pray that some of these young men who are struggling, who may be trying to be recruited by gangs, will turn to the Lord instead. I said, you can have a huge impact, and you will not know, probably, until eternity. I don't know, you know, I don't know how long Albert McMakin lived. I don't know if he ever got to see hear that Billy preached a sermon in a stadium. I have no clue right now. And I tell these folks, you need to be praying for these people 
because you think you're sitting in this nursing home and you're a nobody who can have no influence. But when you are praying for other people in God's kingdom, you are in, a, you, in eternity, you are a somebody. Whatever the, you know, whether the world recognizes it or not. You know, there are, there are nobodies. There are, every day we meet nobodies who are somebody big in eternity. And there are a lot of somebodies in this world, in our communities, who essentially are nobodies in eternity. Do you see how careful we must be in our dealings with everyone? You see how careful and thoughtful we must be with everyone we encounter, wherever that is, wherever we encounter them? Because when the ultimate somebody, Jesus, came to this planet, do you realize he was treated like a nobody? These are some of the saddest words in the scripture for me. Talking about Jesus. Verse 10. Jesus came, he, Jesus came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. The one who is the somebody, the one person you want to know, the world doesn't recognize him. The one who created the world, he doesn't, they don't recognize him. And his own people, who he created also, who he began through Abraham, and then all the rest, all the rest through Moses and David and the rest, he was the one who was feeding them manna in the wilderness. He was the manna in the wilderness. He was the, the water from the, he was the rock from which water flowed. He was the one who was protecting them. His own people. He was one of them. And they not only did not recognize him, they rejected him. We have to be so careful with who we decide as a nobody and a somebody, right? Scripture talks about entertaining angels unawares, right? You've got to be careful about who you're considering who's a somebody and who's a nobody. Because his own people considered Jesus as a nobody. But then what we read next is even more astonishing. Jesus is not even recognized. And then he's rejected. But guess what his response is? Read those words. But to all who believe, but, but, despite that, to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are re reborn, not with a physical rebirth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth 
that comes from God. So Jesus is not recognized. He's rejected. His response is his arms are thrown open wide to the whole human race. Saying, all you've got to do is welcome me. That's all you've got to do. All you've got to do is trust in me and believe in me. That's all you've got to do. And then you are born again into my family forever. And that can never change. You can never be unborn again. You're always going to be part of my family. He's not recognized. He's rejected. And his response is, he welcomes anyone. He welcomes anyone and everyone who will come to him. The only question, his arms are open wide to us. Now, you got to remember, this is the ultimate somebody. This is the one who created the entire universe. All light and life flow from him. Every, if there's life in anything, life in us, Life in all the trees and the plants and the animals on this planet. It all comes from him. He's the ultimate somebody. And the ultimate somebody has his arms open wide to you. The only question is, do you have your arms open wide to him? That's the only question. You know, what makes you a somebody... What makes you a somebody is not what you have, not what you do, and not what people think of you. None of those things make you a somebody. What makes you a somebody is being in relationship with Jesus, the somebody, Jesus himself. And once you are in relationship with Jesus... No one, no one, no one can take it away. And even more, he never casts you out. Actually, the opposite. He's holding you close. He's holding you tight. He's not going to let you go. How careful we must be, but especially careful when we're dealing with the ultimate somebody, with Jesus. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you, you don't look down on us, but rather you look us in the eye. You look into our hearts and your arms are open to us always. Lord Jesus, help us to give our total selves to you. Help us to give ourselves to you totally. We thank you for that. Thank you for welcoming us into your family where everybody's a somebody in your family. We pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Friends, let us firm our faith together along with millions of Christians around the world.